Welcome back to the podcast. I just realized today, actually, when we were thinking about talking about this, that you've been off of the podcast for eight months. Eight? I think so, yeah. Wow. I think the one that we released before you left was April. April. Then I did one with Dalton, Mm -hmm. and now now it's And we covered the Altamont. Yes. Too much Altamont. Uh, yeah. So much Three Altamont. episodes of that that I, we highly recommend. It's very yes, well done. Yes, definitely listen to it. <laughs> it's not too much. It's the perfect amount of Altamont. It is a lot of sadness. Like, the whole it's thing heavy, is just so heavy. Yeah. I mean, if you're into true crime podcasts or anything like that, or just historical kind of events, like, I don't know. I think it's fascinating that everything culminated into something going terribly wrong. Because everything yeah, was going very wrong. terribly wrong. It was a perfect storm, as they say. Um, yeah, with the Altamont thing, I was kind of, I think we were both kind of burned out after that because, um, we did so much research for that one and it was like more of like a real podcast than what we usually do. (laughs) So it was like a (laughs) lot of, a lot of actual facts and stuff like that. And, um, so we had to like read books and watch documentaries and like, oh my God, it was brutal. We did not read any books in preparation for this one. No, 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 I'm saying you read a whole book for the last one. I read a couple like Wikipedia. I read, uh, yeah, I messed around a little today, but I also didn't. So the way we're doing this is we are doing, going to talk about the three part seven plus almost eight hour Beatles documentary that's been released. And we've only seen the first episode. So that's what we're going to talk so about no today. So no spoilers, everyone. Don't spoil it for us. Um, want to know first, if I they mean, stay together or <laughs> what happens. <laughs> the, f- the first episode is, you know, I mean, it's quite a feat. It's over two hours, I think. So It's you know, two and a half hours, I'm pretty sure. It's a movie. You know, yeah. it's a whole film. And um, I mean, it's Peter Jackson. Like all of his actual movies are like four hours long I've, anyway i've fallen asleep in theaters to many a peter jackson movie fun fact i've never watched lord of the rings and have not fallen asleep during it i literally went, never i, I went every to see it in the theaters it. and uh definitely fell asleep but i don't fall asleep in public but i was it's very <laughs> relaxing and i was just not into it and i just fell asleep but um i had a i had a, a customer come into my work the other day and uh he's a big beatles fan and he's looking for like beatles vinyls or something and he was like, "Have you seen the documentary?" It was like older guy, and I was like, "I was like, yeah, yeah, I've seen the first episode. Like, I'm kind of taking it slow because I really want to soak it in and like really enjoy it." And he's like, "Isn't it fantastic?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "My teenage son keeps going in and being like, oh, they're still practicing. This is so boring.'" And he's like, "He doesn't understand." <laughs> we had this whole chat about it, and I was like, "I want you to know that I think it's fascinating." But to, I mean, to maybe a non-big Beatles fan or non musician i don't know to some people it may be seem a little slow but i think it is fascinating yeah i mean it, it's some a lot context of would be nice like how old his son son is you think teenage son teenage oh, what he wow. said he said my teenage son thinks it's boring and i'm like well it's you know it's a lot of like songwriting and like it's not very immediate it's all very kind of slow burn and like i just i watching yeah. their dynamic in any shape or form i think it's don't have interesting any reverence for the beatles I think that kind of puts you in a different category, oh, yeah. right? Because we look at it as like, oh my God, these are like the ultimate songwriters, yeah. the ultimate band, and we get to peek behind the curtain and see yeah. what's going on. And with most people, they're just like, who's this? And they're just a bunch yeah. of old guys in the 60s and they don't get it, you know? Yeah. But my buddy Adam, to his credit, is not a songwriter, but enjoys, you know, music uh, in, from that era. Yeah. And he was talking to me about it. He like came to me and asked me about it and said, that he loved it. And he's like, do you guys write songs like that? And I'm like, kind of. <laughs> yeah, we're just like the Beatles. <laughs> what, the, what 
<laughs> one thing that struck me is the process is very similar. Like someone brings a song, yeah, and then you have horrible lyrics for a long time. Or some of it's like, oh, or you vocalize, yeah, you vocalize, yeah, yeah. Like you, when Paul's writing "Get Back," it's very. I've never seen it called that before, but I've seen so many subtitles of it now. It's like vocalizes whenever they do that. Yeah, it's just what vocalization. I love about it in general is that most of it is subtitled. Um, and we watch stuff with subtitles just because our hearing's not great a lot, but I don't need every word subtitled, but they subtitle a lot of stuff of like them being a little too quiet or them talking really fast or like having a super heavy British accent or, you know, quote unquote vocalizing or doing weird lyrics. One thing I read today, um, was that they actually would turn their amps up. Oh, I read this, yeah. And start jamming really loud on their guitars. And just tr- strumming and nothing. Talk so they could have like more, quote, private conversations. Because mm-hmm, they knew the cameras were but rolling. But now in 2021, 2020, we can strip away the guitar. So now oh. we just hear their conversations. And a- apparently a lot of the footage is when they're just trying to have private conversations and they, they don't. They, they, they like hid mics around. Mm-hmm. They put tape over like the red light so they wouldn't see uh, yeah, if they I were that uh, today. recording was, or not. Yeah, there they was would an have the cameraman like w- like walk away and say, "I'm gonna go get some tea," and then like pretend oh, like he was and, taking a break. And he'd have his his camera. Yeah, like you said, it was taped over the red light, so it was just like a you know a sitting camera. And they were like, "It's probably off because no one's operating it." And so they would feel really free to. Yeah, I can give some specs. Yeah, um, I give some specs for those of you whether you've seen it or not. Um, this is, they've gone through Peter Jackson and his team has, has gone through 60 hours of footage taken in 1969, January, um, and 150 hours of audio to come out with this eight hour documentary. So anyone that says eight hours is simply too long. I mean, 60 I mean, what, hours down to eight. Come what would you want to leave what out? Else? Like you've, yeah. got, you've got Ringo tap dancing. I think it's, I think it's one <laughs> exciting moment to the next. Want? I think it's, I, I couldn't stop taking notes. So they, they kick it off by, um, doing like a 10 minute history of the Beatles up until then, which I think is kind of hilarious. Cause it's like, how do you do that? But they, they kind of pull it off. You know, they're like, Oh, you know, Paul and John met when they were like 14 and 15 and George was 13 or whatever. And they start off with the Quarrymen. They they get famous by 1962. Quarrymen? Quar- Quarrymen? Quarrymen? I think you called them the Queermen. <laughs> no, the no, Quarrymen. The queer- <laughs> the qu- I thought it was the Quarrymen. Like, like working quarry in the quarry. Quarry. I've never heard query before. <laughs> I think it's like a tomato tomato situation. I don't Stuart. think it's tomato I think, tomato. <laughs> I think it's, it's like a tomato tomato. I think tomato. it's like microwave microwave. Oh, maybe. <laughs> or Rodeo case. Yeah, um, so in 1967, they stopped touring because it's simply too chaotic. Um, in 1968, they shoot that Hey Jude promo that our dad threw on the TV the other night where it's in color and they're all... Um, they're in this kind of weird stage where Ringo's like elevated super high up and then all the audience comes yes. in and Paul is playing Hey that Jude. Was, so they uh, do that and that's their first like live performance in a long was, time. Apparently that was like one of the first like live specials of that type. Like It was and like, they it was beautiful. Yeah. I remember watching a video. It's like a YouTube video where it's like 10 things the Beatles innovated and like yeah. that performance was a specific you know, number on that chart, but I can't remember specifically what it was. It's, it's a very touching video. I mean, the whole audience is like 
standing next to them and like singing along. And, and it's the first time they'd played in front of an audience in like two years, right? Yeah. Is, didn't they say that? Well, they, yeah, they stopped touring in 67, I think. And then 68, they do that right, video so and they really enjoy it. So they're like, we should do another something like this. So that's yeah. kind of the working plan when they go into this situation that the get back footage is from is what, what I understand. Um, and they want to write a new album in two weeks as well and then do a performance. And the whole first episode is this ongoing conversation of them arguing about where they're going to do it. And I think it's, I'm not sure if it's their manager or just somebody in their little team. You're talking about keeps, Michael Lindsay. Mm. He's the original director. Is he the one that keeps saying they want to do it in, uh, he wants to do it in, is it Africa? No, he wants to do it in India. Like, oh. uh, it, I can't remember the exact name of the, uh, I wrote it down. Again, we're just kind of flying off the, <laughs> by the seat of our pants here. We he, just watched two hours. He, like, he, he wanted to do it in front of like, it could have been in the Middle East too, though. Come to think of it, it could have been in the Middle it's, East. Uh, it's Africa. It's uh, it's spelled with an S, but oh, well, I think it's I'm pronounced totally Sabratha. Off. I'm just totally off. Um, I think. I think this is my weird. How do you notes. spell it? S. Uh, you spell it S A B R A T H A. That's me getting it from the uh, the uh, subtitles. Oh yeah. Okay. So there's this cool like outdoor, um, old theater that they want to do it in and they want to get cool lighting and he's like and but uh, i think ringo and paul says at one point yeah, he's it's like, like on the mediterranean yeah. sea oh okay yeah so ringo and paul says this uh to the manager he's like ringo put his foot down that he doesn't want to travel yeah. yeah he wants to do it locally um so they're in this weird oh there it is this uh there's the uh place they're gonna perform called? It looks it's an amphitheater. Um, it's amphitheater is the word I was I was looking for. I mean, for. it says Sub Sabratha the theater Sabratha forty three Roman theater in Sabratha. Yeah. Is that what it is? Forty three Roman is that that can't be it, right? That's what I it think says you, right here. I think you've got it. That's all the information I had. So they're basically they have to write and rehearse fourteen songs to perform in two weeks. Um. So there. Wait, I have a question about this. I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention during it. No, I'm confused Why about some things too. Why did they give themselves a two-week deadline, or f what was it? Four week, two week? What was I th it? My, here, you want to hear my answer? That's not based in fact at all, and I'm <laughs> guessing. Um, I think. I would guess. I would love to hear your answer. That my my <laughs> guess, my guess from just like a production background is maybe they. They're all, it's, it seems to me that they are all getting up. Oh. They're, they're working Monday through Friday. It seems like they're working like 10 hour days, Monday through Friday. They have weekends off. And it seems like they're like, we have this studio space for two weeks. That's right. Because uh, Ringo's shooting here. that movie. Ringo's shooting That's a right. movie. Ringo's yeah. shooting the movie. So there's a deadline that they have where Ringo's going to shoot this, this movie. Um, and, uh, I think, I think that's why there's like a time crunch. And also I think they're all kind of about to kind of go do their own thing and this is kind yeah. of a last last hurrah and i think that 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 vibe is in the air but yeah, i think they're treating it like a two-week nine to five night probably longer than that but job of like hey we're gonna take two weeks we're gonna write a record everyone bring some songs and like yeah we're gonna be ready for a performance which is wild because they haven't performed i mean they did that little hey jude thing um, but yeah. like a whole set in front of an audience they haven't done since 1967. Mm -hmm. It's now 1969. And another thing that I found that was really, really cool was, I can't remember, I think it was Glenn John, uh, Glenn, is it Glenn Johns? Is that his You're name? You're better at oh the names than me. Let me, I'm, 
I'm like struggling here. Oh yeah, Glenn Johns. Glenn Glenn Jones. Oh, Glenn Johns. Yeah, I was right. Glenn Johns. Okay. Sorry, there was a, there was a Google um, result. Glenn Jones, and I was like, oh, it might be Glenn too. I'm not 100, mm. percent but he's a a very famous uh, record producer and engineer, and um, he was uh, he was talking to them about uh, fuck. What was he talking to them about? Now I'm totally losing my train of thought. After I looked up his name and couldn't remember, he's it's the guy. Okay. Remember the guy who's like helping them write songs. He's like wearing the big fur coat. Oh, and, is um, he the big glasses wearing guy? And he's writing down all the lyrics. Um, I don't he think he's wearing glasses. <laughs> I don't think he's wearing glasses. Okay, that's a different guy. Yeah, I don't think because that guy's glasses. actually like uh, writing down all the lyrics. That they have a guy and DJ Webble said this. He's like, oh, they have a whole guy that like writes down. No, their that's lyrics. the guy who's hitting the hammer. The hammer on the anvil. Yeah, yeah that's bang, a different bang, guy. Maxwell's and then he's hitting the hammer. Glenn is the guy who's so like excited. who's chilling kind of in the corner, and uh, he would like have input every big once in a while, coat. and then. Yeah, in one scene he was definitely wearing a big fur coat. There's a lot of fur coats in this uh, <laughs> in this whole <laughs> show. There's a lot of fur coats. Yeah, they all look very January. Well, I can't remember why I brought him up. Now I feel stupid for bringing him <laughs> up, but okay. he's a really cool character. I remember watching him and thinking, "Who is this guy again?" And then uh, looking him up, and I remembered hearing about him. Oh, I remember why. Yes, there we go. Glenn Johns was talking about Led Zeppelin. And how they had just come out with their first record. Oh my god, I can't, oh. I'm so happy I came back to this. He was talking. So there's a really cool scene in this where they're talking about Led Zeppelin coming out with their first record. Yeah. And then they replaced the the Beatles as Artist of the Year, like the biggest band oh, in the world, shit. basically. Yeah. Um, in this, some some magazine back then. It's probably probably I don't know. It's, it's like <laughs> not Rolling Stone. Yeah, so it obviously matter. not yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> they uh they had current they had formally had the Beatles on for eight years straight as like the wow. premier band in the world. I mean and that's quite a feat. Led Zeppelin was the first band other than them that, yeah. and that was like literally the next year after that. Yeah. So it was cool to see their reaction. Well, they're, they're talking, talking about, about Jimmy Page and they're talking about they're, Ray yeah, Charles. They're, they're talking oh, about. Yeah. Um, Eric Clapton. George has a whole speech about how much he loves Eric Clapton. Yeah, that speech was really cool because he's talking about how Eric Clapton can do things that he can't do. Like, yeah, he talks about. I mean, like when you the when specifics you, of why he admires him as a guitar it, player, it feels very like obvious. But he's talking about like the way that Eric Clapton can construct a solo, like where it starts off kind of low and and then it builds energy and then it crescendos and then it's. You know, it's like constantly evolving yeah. and there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of improvisation to it too. Yeah. So he's saying that he's not so good at that. And, and it was really cool to see his um, sort of affection humble. and like yeah. um, the way that, that George like respected and felt about Eric Clapton was a very cool aspect George, of it. George was my favorite as a child and my favorite lifelong going into this. And he's spoiler alert, still my favorite. <laughs> like his temperament is so, he's also the youngest. We just learned cause we looked it mm-hmm. up. Um, cause John refers to him as like, Oh, the baby or whatever. Cause they're all like, none of them are 30 yet in this. They're all like 28, 29 or something like that. And then, uh, George is like 25 or 26. Let's just get into it. Let's, and they've already let's had this crazy about, career. Let's talk about our, just gut reaction to meeting all of the Beatles in this new way. Like we've, you know, met them through all of their TV or movies. Right. And, you're seeing uh, a very, you're TV seeing basically like a band practice, which as we know is like where everybody's kind of personality comes out and like, 
you know, you're, you're writing together. It's very vulnerable. People are saying, here's a song I wrote and people are commenting back on that. And like, it's just, it's all very nitty gritty stuff. So you're really seeing them come out and you can tell sometimes that like at some point George goes, Oh, you're recording our conversation as well. You know? And he's like kind of upset about it. And, um, you know, you can tell that they're like aware of that. And also I think, you know, you have to acknowledge that they're all feeling this pressure like, hey, we gotta write, write a record in two weeks and then perform it. We haven't performed live in two. And, so there's there's a lot of tension and in Michael the room. Michael Lindsay, I think his name is Michael Lindsay Hogg. It mm. might be Hogue. I'm not 100 percent sure. He's the original tomato director. Tomato. Yeah, tomato tomato. <laughs> Microwave microwave. The, the the original guy, the cameraman, right? He's not a cameraman. He's a director. Okay. So he's the guy who's coming and he's like, "You guys are the Beatles, and you're you always do amazing things, and this should <laughs> be the most amazing British thing." That's our first British accent. That's our yeah. There's drink. gonna be more. There's gonna be more. <laughs> so he's talking. He's talking to them about like how they're you know the the biggest band, and they mm-hmm. always do incredible things, and this thing has to be incredible. So it's like, hey, no pressure, guys. Yeah. <laughs> this thing it is has gonna to be, be brilliant. And he had some like ideas about where they should perform. Some were horrible, um, but oh yeah, they had some. They weird... had some bad ones. They're like, we'll perform in a children's hospital, but not like oh, a really bad God. one, like kind of a okay one. And then they're gonna get up and like run to John at the end, and you're just like, what? This is a bad horrible ideas, idea. Yeah. And this is one thing that I really took away from this is how good the Beatles are at straining out bad ideas yeah. from the finished product to what you see them working with. Yeah. Like some yeah. of the lyrics they're working with, you're like, that was really the original lyric no, for they, Let It Be really, or whatever. Yeah, they really they really um are able to kind of filter out all the bullshit. And especially and they're very like I'm really impressed with um Paul just the way he talks to the sort of management and the people that are like, okay, we're going to do this and it's going to be brilliant. They're kind of, you know, puffing him up right, a little let's, bit. Let's get to it. Let's talk about Paul first. We'll talk about Paul first. I love Paul. I think he's, I think he does something really beautiful where he, I think he's a great songwriter and I think he's great. I think his strength in the band is that he's very good at structuring songs because John comes to him with these kind of, unsculpted ideas that are Mm -hmm. beautiful but and then george too and john can go well you should do that twice and then you should go back to this part that Mm -hmm. should be in the beginning that should be like he's doing this very like structural and it's 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 brilliant paul he seems to structure everything paul is the he seems to be the most theoretical musician in Mm -hmm. the group like he he's the one who's always shouting out like the changes and like and giving a lot of insight about arrangement like he'll he'll do that weird like drum acapella like i always do to alante where it's like no this part's like <laughs> <laughs> or whatever he's like more he, he has a he has a vision yeah he he definitely yeah. seems to be the one who has the most vision mm-hmm. in terms of everyone's parts um and to me he feels like he's also taking on the role of being like someone who has to like uh reel everybody in yeah you know like like crack the reins a little bit where like yeah. we gotta go we gotta go we gotta go well they ha- he has a whole speech where like they're all kind of fucking around and uh they're working on something and it's just not really working and he gives this whole kind of thing about like i don't i don't like george is kind of like offended i think by something and he's like i don't he's like i'll do whatever you want me to do paul i'll do whatever you want me and paul's like i don't want to be this person that i'm like telling you to play it a certain way like i just i just we need to like get on track sometimes and he talks about how like we're always talking about how fun we used to be and how good it used to be it's like let's just 
get in it right now. Like he gives this really good, like yeah. let's be in the moment like, and write this so, right now. It is a good speech. Um, I remember that, that argument. That was like the first little um, altercation he had with George. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what I took away from that is they're all learning these songs, but Paul knows them better than others. And he's also yeah. more theoretical than others. So yeah. to me, in his mind, he's saying, if everyone just learned the structure, like I know the structure, then we can like know what to do after that with like the lead lines yeah. or like, mm-hmm. yeah, like create the roadmap. But I think George Harrison was just working off of a completely different um, I- writing style where he's like, I want to kind of take shots in the dark with some riffs and Mm -hmm. see what sounds good where. And that's distracting to Paul because he's not ready for that kind of interpretation yet. He just wants it to be stripped down and he can get a focus on what his lyrics are. And if there's lead guitar going on the whole time, then it's interfering with his lyrics. And he's getting a little frustrated by it because he's like, look, I'm trying to sing this part and I can't Mm -hmm. really sing it when you're playing guitar. And then George gets offended because he's like, I'll play whatever you want me to, but I don't yeah. think you know no, what you I, want me I, to play. I remember watching that scene and being like, I am understanding both of their points of view right now. Yeah, I think they were both right. It was just two egos who are great at what they do, but they do it in different ways, mm-hmm. you know? And it's yeah. like when you come to a crossroad where you don't agree about the way to do something, it's like it's like if you're like cleaning with somebody and they're like mm-hmm. oh we should sweep the floors first or fucking mop oh yeah first. everyone's and you're like, got no, a different we should clean the counters first because then it's gonna go on the yeah. floor everyone's creative you know what i mean like so different. it it's very similar to that in my mind where it's like you're not wrong you're just yeah. they just different. thrive differently in different so ways to me paul kind of has to be the guy who's like we have to do it like this because mm-hmm. we have a deadline yeah and and he's just trying to he, he seems yeah. to be the only one that actually has like the dead the deadline in mind, mm-hmm. and he's like, "We've got ten days." Like he, throughout the whole episode, he's like, "We've got he's two weeks. We've got twelve <laughs> days. We've got ten days." And um, yeah. And the other thing I notice about Paul is whenever there's a decision to be made about, I don't want to say man- managerial things like that. No, Brian you're, you're Epst- right. When he's talking to the managers, or they're talking about Brian, yeah, what Brian Epstein would yeah. usually cover, and he passed away like yeah. before this. From I, I looked yeah, it up, they, it was like alcohol and barbiturates, oh, and he no. was 32. I know he's my age. yeah, yeah, incredible. But he was their previous manager, and he was the guy who would be like maybe the bad guy who's like, hey, you all got to wear suits for this, or yeah. you guys got to practice today. When he says that, he says something like, I don't want to misquote him, but he says something like dad's not around or something doesn't he say something like that where it's like they had this kind of like father figure in the band that was like hey everybody because they were babies Mm -hmm. when they got really famous you know still babies they're like 20 yeah they're in their late 20s now they're in their like distinguished like late (laughs) 20s and i'm like great yeah i'm like 34 talking about them like oh man they're They're so fucking cool but like so they were like you know 20 21 or whatever they're getting famous and like it's got to be crazy. And they had somebody to be like, Hey, let's like, let's reel it in and let's write this record. And we have a deadline. Like they had that. And Paul makes a great speech about it. He's like, dad's gone. You know, dad's left. He keeps yeah. saying that. And he's like, we, you know, it's just us now. Yeah. And I, I thought, it, I thought it was really kind of cool. But I, yeah. And, and the thing is, is he doesn't want to be in that role, but he feels like if he's and not he in that, that role, yeah. no one else is going to take it. So yeah. he like, it's kind of a, a begrudging like adult like father figure not father figure but like adult figure in the room who's like 
like I said, kind of pushing everyone along. And it definitely rubs George the wrong way. John seems like he doesn't really get affected by it too much. Mm -hmm. He seems like a little more... John's a little goofy. John's so goofy. And John also um, loves to like uh, poke and prod things. Yeah, He loves to poke and prod which is hilarious, but I definitely like. I definitely saw a lot of like the role I have to take on in our band a lot with like what Paul does. Yeah. Not so much the managerial side of it, where it's like we got to get stuff done. That's not yeah. really me, but more like the trying to uh, like make arrangements and yeah. like it's an important role. And yeah, and it's it is weird to like you don't ever want to feel like you're snuffing out someone's creative process. I think he, I think he says that about George. He's like, I don't want to yeah. like push you down at all like what you're doing is brilliant but but sometimes it's like also so far outside of what you mm-hmm. have envisioned that you're like can we try what maybe i had envisioned first and then like try this other stuff and i don't think you should ever say no to things i yeah. think that you should maybe that and that's the thing i think that if i had to fault paul for one thing i think that he was maybe shutting down things too quickly yeah snuffing things out but then again he he did have a deadline to adhere to i I can feel the anxiety in paul and i don't feel that with anybody else ringo just seems like get me the fuck out of here what do you want to do next you want to do uh (laughs) so do you have any last last Uh, thoughts on on Paul? paul no i think i think he's i think one thing that this is showing me is that he's just a really brilliant songwriter in a very technical way. Yes. And, and a million, beautiful way is beautiful yeah. songs, but like he beautiful really piano knows, playing too. Oh God, beautiful, beautiful piano, piano playing. playing. And oh, all right. So I right, have some God. beef real quick. I have a little bit of beef with, uh, so my dad and, and us were talking, our dad and, and, uh, and me were, and you, God, what am I trying to say? We were all talking about this with my dad <laughs> and, uh, he was talking about how he read like some review where they were like, enamored that Paul was playing the bass like a guitar and they're like we've never seen it done like this before it's incredible like and I'm like it's not like he's doing anything virtuoso he's just like playing power chords and strumming them yeah and which which Tom does by the way And also, like, I was gonna say, yeah, but I was which like, Wait, Tom am I does wrong? our bass player, by the way. Yeah. And it, it's not revolutionary at all. He's just also a guitar player. So he's and like, this player, is yeah. like, John's not here yet. This is the chord. And then it goes here. And it's just a very basic way of playing chords that I think m- the majority of bass players then and now know about. Mm-hmm. And it, I didn't think it was revolutionary. And I saw a lot of, of people talking about how. He was, it was like some virtuoso, like crazy. I couldn't believe this. And I'm like, well, you're clearly not a musician. You're just a, a casual or, or whatever. Mm. So that was one thing that rubbed me the wrong way. But it is cool that he is like, I mean, when he wrote Get Back, it was, is oh, basically I loved watching that footage of with him, him writing Get Back. Yeah. Strumming a power chord. And that's where this all came from. It's him it's strumming on his base, this power right? chord. Yes. Yeah. So he's just on the high, you know, the high strings, and he's just like, and it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like he's doing some like Jimi Hendrix shit or, or uh, Ying Vey Malmsteen or anything <laughs> like that. Like it's, <laughs> it's just like, what, what you do? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he, I, he also plays guitar too. So it's like, it's not like he just. Well, and he played guitar first, right? He, he they had that decision where I, George came in and he was like, I'll just play bass, I think. I mean, I'll, I think. I think Paul is one of the greatest bassists of all time and maybe one of the most underrated. Yeah. So I'm not trying to say he's not a good bass player, but w- the thing that I mostly have a problem with is that they were saying he was playing it like a guitar and they'd never seen that before. And I'm like, 
that's because guitars play like guitars and yeah. basses play like basses. And the reason yeah, why usually. everyone's not strumming power chords on basses is it because when you have a guitar, generally yeah, it it's more sound interesting great. to have a bass line. I mean, yeah. listen to uh, we cover I'm Only Sleeping. And I remember when, when Tom was learning that bass part and he like played it for me. And he's like, this is one of the coolest bass parts I've ever heard. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I always kind of underestimate Paul McCartney in my brain as a bass player because I'm just like well he's this incredible songwriter and like you know and he plays I think he plays with a pick too which kind of I think triggers some people some bass players for sure I I was gonna bring up last thing about Paul there's a there's a scene where he's um he's playing piano and he's working something out kind of towards the end of the first episode and Ringo's talking to someone and he goes oh isn't he great at piano I could watch him play piano all day Ringo says that I'm like it's so cute I just I love Ringo yeah, that Ringo's great. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna get a lot of shit about that from people. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> Fuck it. At um, me, Stuart <laughs> underscore underscore Patrick. Tug me. <laughs> At uh, me. Next, uh, let's get Ringo out of the you way. Get Ringo? Right. Not <laughs> yeah. out of, don't say it like that. Don't I say love get Ringo. Out of the no, way. I love Ringo. I've seen him like three times live. I love it when He's they the call only him. I've seen. What do they call him? Uh, uh, premier Liverpool drummer or something that- like that. They call them. They call them something. They're like they recruit um, top <laughs> Liverpool drummer Ringo. And I people always shit oh, on. Oh, in the begin the first. Yes. So you're talking about the first yeah. ten minutes when they're like, "Here's our brief history of the Beatles." I'm pretty sure they yeah. say top. Yeah, like the best. Liverpool. They basically say like the best. And people like it's they like- lost their first drummer and then they hire the quote unquote best drummer in Liverpool, most sought after or yeah. whatever they said, and it's Ringo Starr. And it's and, like okay. And this is. One one thing that really grinds my gears about people talking about the Beatles <laughs> is it's such a funny joke to say that like it's so it's so like meta to be like Ringo was just happy to be there. Ringo was just lucky. In the right place he was at the in right, the right time. place at the right time. It's like, yeah, he was in the right place at the right time. But the reason he was is because he was the top Liverpool drummer and yeah. he is a badass drummer. Everything that he, he plays fit, is he, perfect. I think he also like there's something to be said about everything he says is perfect. It's in the pocket. And there's something to be said about just chemistry. Yeah. Chemistry, pocket and and just the decision on what to play and when to play it. Ringo is the perfect fit for the Beatles. Yep. Like he he has those drum fills that you, that are almost hooks of their own. Like you could sing mm-hmm. his, you could sing his drum fill in like uh, Strawberry Fields or or whatever. Yeah, that's um, interesting to think and about. And I'm tired of the meme that he was just happy to be there and he was and he like sucks. For some reason it's fun to say that he sucks now. He's also fun like, songwriter like i always love i'm, his, I'm tired of that that's gotta go that's gotta go uh, so if you're listening to this podcast brilliant. never say that again never say it you're it's incorrect. not true it's a <laughs> it's a meme it's it's like just not true it's what it's people who don't really know say about it yeah it's like they're talking about john bonham in it who's widely considered maybe at least top two or three greatest rock drummers of all time. Yeah. From Zeppelin in the first episode. John Bonham would you said this would be terrible in the Beatles. I I don't and know Ringo, if he'd be ter- you know, I don't know if he'd be terrible. It wouldn't don't, work. I, I think it John Bonham work. would make the Beatles sound fucking no, heavy. <laughs> but I'm not trying to I'm misquote not, you, but I feel like yeah, we've talked I don't about think this he'd be before terrible. where it's like I think he'd t- be fine, but yeah, the thing about it's not the thing about Ringo's style, he's like tabasco sauce like tabasco makes everything you put it on taste better than it is yeah and you don't overwhelmingly feel tabasco yeah you're like oh this is this kicks it up a notch and and what john bonham is is like i'm john bonham 
and this is what it's going to sound like all the time because I'm John Bonham. And he has a... And it's fucking lit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just its own thing. It's like, and I wish I could think of a comparable hot sauce to it, but it's like... (laughs) I it's like Armageddon it takes over sauce. the flavor of the exactly of the whatever you're putting on. It's like now it tastes like Cholula or yeah. whatever. And Although um, arguably he fits right in the pocket of his band, so yeah. it's like that. That's why I think chemistry is so important and being in, quote unquote in the pocket. Well, the other thing, like what listening I was, to Paul McCartney songs and going, here's how I don't overplay and here's how I compliment that. The the thing that I was getting to with John Bonham is they were talking about how he was newer on the scene like and how incredible he was oh the so, beatles were talking about it in the documentary yeah, yeah when, yeah, the, when yeah, they were yeah. talking about fun. led zeppelin yeah and um to me that's just you know further evidence that at the time ringo was the premier drummer and yeah. there was you know there was keith this moon is 50s who, Liverpool. Keith moon's completely different style also yeah if you hear keith moon you know it's keith moon yeah. mitch mitchell if you hear mitch mitchell oh, you know it's mitch, mitch mitchell and that's yeah. Jimi hendrix's drummer so Yes, he wasn't as technical as those guys, but the way that he played the Tabasco sauce reference, it enhanced the incredible songwriting of George, Paul, John, and of course Ringo wrote too, but those three were really the premier songwriters of the group. And he enhanced their music in a way where it didn't overtake the flavor of it. And I think that 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 was his skill, that was his specialty is to enhance things in the perfect way it's subtle it's it's great so the whole narrative about Ringo guys stop it I I think he's also a great kind of uh you know like a Switzerland like a neutral in the band when everything seems like like kind of tensions are high he can kind of say something peaceful he seems very zen to me like very peaceful guy there was a there was a I think there was a little um I think that Paul was a little frustrated with right. Ringo because he didn't want to leave the area. He didn't want to like travel to. Oh Sabatha yeah, he said Ringo whatever. really put his foot down. Well, I thought I thought he said that in a way that was like respecting. But then, but then he said behind the scenes, he said maybe I can't remember who he said, but maybe X Y Z would travel to that part. And I think he was saying like another drummer. But oh really? I could be completely wrong. So uh, I hope. But not. I remember there was like a weird moment where they were like. Oh, he says he won't travel, and then Paul was like, "Well, maybe blah 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 will travel," and it, it was it was it. a joke. Like they were laughing after yeah. it, but you could tell it was one of those things where they were like, "Ha ha ha, what?" Oh god. Um, but yeah, I thought Ringo looked miserable half the time. But then, well, when he was sitting through, like, I mean, I I get it. Like he's just sitting through them, like going over, like, "Oh, this is the structure," and this is not, and like kind of going through their like emotional stuff where John's being kind of flighty and you know throwing things off with humor or just being like a little weird and cocky and then paul's trying to organize everything and then george is kind of being a little sensitive and then ringo's just like can we just you know like i feel like he's just he's just kind of takes his emotion out of it um yeah i, I did i didn't know that he could tap dance though and oh yeah ringo he definitely tap dances, dances to paul oh, is it paul playing piano? it's paul playing piano yeah. and well and there's also a scene and I wrote this down where I'm where Ringo is playing piano and he's writing a song called uh, going to Carolina on a big ocean liner. Do you remember yeah, yeah. that? And he's like fully playing piano and I'm just like, what the hell? Well, what's fun is so in the beginning, I don't want to derail us from the members, but in the beginning, they're just going through a ton of old songs or mm-hmm. like weird stuff they're writing that's not going to make it on. But they give each of those weird songs a second. Mm-hmm. Um 
Anyway, so John. Yeah, last thoughts on Ringo before we move to John. Mm, yeah. My last thoughts on Ringo are, are, is just obviously everything I said about <laughs> him being a great drummer. Um, it seems like he has one foot out the one foot out the door already. He, he seems like they his all commitment, have that vibe a little bit. A little bit, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. He seen, Paul to me feels like he wants to salvage the band. He wants yeah. to like wrap it up in band aid and, and like duct tape and salvage the band. Or at least if he knows it's over, to have this last thing yeah. be really special. And Ringo, like everyone seems else is kind of like, like eh. uh, I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to like show up and play this and like. It didn't seem like he wants to sell out for it. He's like there because he's like, yeah, we'll do this thing. Okay. So I kind of felt that vibe from him and I kind of sensed it in his demeanor at times too. Yeah. So John, first of all, Yoko (laughs) looks so fucking cool and so (laughs) fucking bored. No, she looks so cool and so bored. The whole time. And she's wearing like this leather jumpsuit like thing. Like she just looks insane. I thought you were going to talk to how she, uh, talk to how she was so close to John. at. Oh, all no, time. that's a little weird. <laughs> so I have some thoughts about this. Yeah. So she's very always cl- very like clo- right next very to John. Very close. And that. Like I hope she had <sighs> chewing gum the whole time, you know, because it was like that close kind of thing. I I think it's I don't think it's her being like I need to be a, insert myself into this until the end where she's doing that screaming thing. Oh yeah, she's where having she's like, fun. John, John, <laughs> John, and you're just like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I just want to say that. Um, I'm going to put on my uh, hipster hat for a second. Uh, I studied art history in college and she had a whole ass career as an artist and a performance artist before she came into the Beatles. That's another misconception. Yeah. People just think she came out of nowhere and I'm like, no, no, no. She was fucking blowing up. She was was huge. John met her by going to one of her uh, like, Oh God, what's it called? Installations. Yeah. And he like walked up a ladder and there was the word yes there. And he was like, I think I'm in love with this person. Anyway, he met her and she was already this very established, beautiful artist. So like, she's not, you know, the rhetoric is that she was chasing coattails. And, um, and I remember, she's very cool. I remember listening to a, a last podcast on the left, uh, which I love, by the way. And uh, Marcus Parks is like kind of a, hum- a music historian too. He has this yeah, whole yeah, yeah. he has this whole podcast about music history and stuff. Very, very detailed. Awesome. And um, he made an offhand ca- comment. They were talking about Yoko Ono, and I and I can't remember exactly the episode that it was on, but he he said Yoko Ono's famous for being with John basically and which is, and, which is not true yeah. it, it's unfair she she was an established artist before that and very much so and that like she didn't come off the street and like meet John at like no a she she pub was, or something she had like, this installation yeah yeah so she, she, she's very cool she did some cool performance like, art when you look at it was coming out. the grand scope of history of course John Lennon is a bigger character in history yeah. but at the time I when mean, at I, the time he was bigger too. When like, I first not, heard about yeah, her, it was at the, definitely at the time he was yeah. bigger too. But she was also her relation like, to the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, she was also her own thing at the time. So it is unfair to say that she, you know, she. They just, are. There's they, a lot of misconceptions about the Beatles. Yeah. I feel like. Oh yeah, and you're you're gonna see a lot of that. But yeah, she's definitely her and John are very physically close. Very I think they're close. Just, I think they're both a little clingy with each other. I don't know what it is. They're they're just it's new love. They're excited, and she's there, and like I think she's kind of 
to him maybe like a muse figure. So if he's going to be in songwriting sessions, she's right there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's her being weird is yeah, my she's point. Like like, I don't get the, the like, I'm the annoyed girlfriend vibe. That's not what I get. I get yeah. the more like she's sort of a presence that makes him feel calm mm-hmm. and inspired. That's the vibe I get. Yeah. And she... I mean, she does look really bored a lot, but it's probably fucking I love when boring. she's reading the paper. Like, yeah, she's just like reading the paper. Yeah, she's like reading the paper next to him. She's great, dude. She's yeah. just, she's cool. And it, it's really fun. I don't want to get ahead, but when Linda Eastman shows up, they just start like chatting like they're friends. And yeah. I, I really liked seeing that. I was like, oh, who, I didn't know that like Yoko, of course they were buddies. Like they're both these brilliant women that are like kind of a part of this wild world of the yeah. Beatles and they, they get to have this sort of solace in each other. So, so that, that was kind of Yeah, so cute. John, though, separate from Yoko. So John. He he definitely seems like a giant goofball and someone who likes to poke and prod. Like, he reminds like, me of Go Vince. ahead and, and read. He is a little <laughs> Vince, um, our buddy Vince from Sabretooth. He Unicorn. looks a little like Vince. <laughs> and then he also. Um, imagine he's like. around. He keeps, thing, he keeps things light. He keeps things really light. He does. But he also. So go ahead and read your quote that he had to George. Because he also, like I said, likes to poke a little bit. And oh, um, well, this is a little later on. But at one point, they're all pitching songs. And George very vulnerably starts playing uh, a song that he came up with. I Me Mine. And he's saying it, you know, came from this idea of this this kind of waltz. Uh, and uh, he starts playing it, and John just kind of comes in and hears a bit of it and says something like, "It's he very says, like Fiddler on the Roof." He says, "Run along, son, we're a rock and roll band." And then George says, and I quote, "I don't care if you don't want." He says this very casually. He says, "I don't care if you don't want it. I don't give a fuck. It'll go in my mu- in my musical." He says, um, "He says I don't give a fuck." That's what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Emily speak. I think that's what he says. I don't care if you don't want it. I don't give a fuck. It'll go in me musical. I wrote in me musical, and that's exactly what he said. Because he, you'll notice George. This oh, is, dude, we gotta watch this back. Have a bet. Dude, if he says that, I'll, I'll take I, a shot. And if I, and, I made Tom go back so I could quote it out. I'm pretty right. sure he says I don't so give a fuck. Says, It'll go in me musical. I'll take a shot, and then if if he doesn't say that, then you have to take a shot of wine. So a shot of wine. <laughs> oh no child's play oh no um it'll go in me musical i've noticed that george is this is just a british thing that they say in me like in instead of my they say in me musical it'll go uh, in i mean it, like they are definitely going. very liverpool if you like very hear liverpool. people from liverpool now they sound like the beatles did. oh and he says so i didn't get the the whole quote but he also when he's talking shit about i me mine john he says um Oh, it's going to summon Harrison's fisher wife and dwarves or something weird. He's just <laughs> being an asshole. And like, I, George, George is, um, I relate to George. He's like a little, like when he's being vulnerable and showing a song, he's definitely like, he's sensitive. It's you know? such a and great like, song. And he didn't yeah. write that other section of it, which I think ah, me, me, that my. part, <laughs> I, I really truly believe that if they didn't have this weird two week deadline, or three week deadline or how long is it? It's four weeks, two weeks. right? It's two weeks. Two weeks. It's two weeks. But I no, feel like it's okay. Not two so weeks. we haven't it's watched the other weeks. two episodes. I feel like they end up extending it. I don't know, oh. okay. but it starts with like the documentaries. Like in two weeks, they have to you know write an album and perform it. One other goofy moment. Wait, wait we have hold to up, say, real quick. Let me finish my you. thought on that. Sorry, I, I I wanted to say I think they could have written a better like bridge or whatever you want to say for I'm. Me and mine, because it's such an incredible song, and then that part hits, and I'm like, "This is it. F- it feels like a real round, round peg, square hole kind of thing. I feel like it could have been more elegant the way that they." I 
have an observation in general. I think that George's songwriting is so good. And I think that Paul and John don't always know what to do with it because it's a little different than what they're doing. It's very whimsical. Like when George is playing... Very minor. Spoiler alert. Like at some point they're all showing songs that they want to write and John plays a song that ends up on his solo record. And George plays uh, Sunrise Doesn't Last All Morning, All Things Must Pass. And they're like trying to work it out. And like that's a fucking brilliant, that's gorgeous his, that's song. That's most it's, well-known song. Oh yeah, I think, and it's except like, for my guitar, gently weeps. That, that, that's a Beatles song. Yeah, so that like, record, all things must pass. Oh, well, is, here comes the sun. Is front, maybe yes. his. That's his most known one. His front to back genius, like yeah. all things must pass, and like he's just showing them that song, and they just kind of don't. They're just, eh, they're not really into it. They're just like, ah, yeah, maybe, you know, it doesn't really fit. They weren't and really into I Me Mine at first either. Yeah. I think Paul was into it. I think Paul liked it. Yeah. And then John was kind of making jokes about it. But I don't know if Paul was making, or sorry, if John was making jokes because he didn't like it. Or if he was just being inappropriate joking John, which it yeah. seems like he does that a lot. Like, Well, I was going to say my favorite John moment from the first episode is where, uh, Paul's writing, I've got a feeling. And they're doing the bridge part. And he's like, everybody had a heart on. Yeah. Everybody yeah, yeah. had a heart on. <laughs> he's yeah. doing these weird lyrics. So they go, I've got a, f-. he's like, so George goes, I've got a feeling. Is that one called I've got a feeling? And then uh, Paul goes, yeah, I've got a feeling. And then John goes, I've got a heart on. <laughs> and then, everybody had and a then, heart then he goes, everybody had a heart on. And what cracks me up is I'm like, is that how they wrote that part? Is that how they really wrote that part where they really like everybody had a heart on? So then they changed it to everybody had a hard year. Everybody had, had a, a good time. Yeah, a good time. But they kept the wet dream part in there. Everybody, everybody had, had a wet, wet dream. dream. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, I, oh, give me, sorry, get real quick. Give me some truth is the song that John shows Paul that he's writing, which ends up being one of the kind of bigger. John songs Lennon. on John's yeah. solo record. Um, all the pig-headed blah, blah, blah. Just give me some truth. And you can also tell there's... I just... Yeah, I definitely... I see, like, John and George having these really brilliant ideas that are going to turn into these brilliant songs and Paul kind of trying to structure them and maybe just realizing that they're not quite right for this record or not quite Beatles songs, which I think is interesting because mm-hmm. then, you know, All Things Must Pass ends up being the the... Uh, title track sort of biggest song on George's solo record and it's like maybe maybe Paul had the instinct that it was like this isn't a Beatles song this is this is more of a George thing I don't yeah. know it's it's just it was it was so interesting to see them pitching those songs and then having those passed up I don't so, know so one thing that I take out of that is like because Paul is such an arranger of the, yeah, of yeah, the oh band yeah. I, I feel like he might obviously want to put his songs more forward mm-hmm. in the queue because he knows how they go and he has a clear yeah. idea for the two That's week tough. deadline. Yeah. And he also can deal with John's songs because they're more um They're Lennon and McCartney. They're, they're they write more, more together. Uh, predictable or more yeah. um pop, more rock and roll. Yeah. Like let me down. Oh, they're that's like a they're really struggling with "Don't Let Me Down." That's too. a really I don't want to say that's an easy song to write, but compared to "I Me Mine," mm-hmm. like "I Me Mine" is such a weird song. Yeah, all of your songs are wonderfully weird. weird. Feel. Yeah, where the fuck do you go after that? Mm-hmm. Flowing more freely than white. Yeah, oh, it's I mean, mine. 
Yeah, it's me, such a good song. But then the I'm a me me mine. I'm like, God damn. I feel like they could have done something better for that. I really feel like they could have done something better. Oh, I love But I love that. I still love that song, but it's like whenever that part hits, I'm like definitely 60% worse than the other section of that song. Yeah, there's a lot of George songs on the White Album, too, that I feel like didn't get enough mm-hmm. attention. And, you know, George <laughs> says a lot of shit like that. He's like, I don't want to play any of my songs because they're going to be horrible or something <laughs> like that. Because he just, he knows that they don't get, like, the proper attention or they're not going to be the way he wants them to be. They don't spend enough But because time, he's yeah. not as theoretical, he can't explain how he wants them to be in the same manner that Paul can explain how he wanted his songs to be. And John can rely on Paul to kind of, you know, go to bat for him and, and talk about the arrangement. But John does have a lot of good good input on um, the different songs. He, he'll... Uh, you know, obviously, write lyrics. Well, he's hopping come up on with the, melodies. The, uh, the keyboard thing a lot, which I yeah, he does jump on the keyboard. It sounds good. Um, and he's playing bass in one of them too, isn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, yeah, he is. End. Maybe let it be or something like that. Yeah, he's doing bass, which he's not like thrilled about. But no. He's <laughs> no, no, no. Did we talk about George? No, I mean, we're gonna get. We're we're not done with John. I don't think. Oh, right? okay. We're still on John. Um, um, yeah, but John does seem like such a character. He seems a little like first thing that comes into his mind he says out loud kind of person yeah. is what i noticed about him um which comes off as maybe a little uh a little cocky but i think he just is a little unfiltered and mm-hmm. i think he's uh i think when things feel tense he kind of uses humor in a way that i actually enjoy yeah um for sure. but he's i mean he's brilliant they're they're writing across the universe and they're writing all this stuff mm-hmm. i'm just like god he's just i know. like it when they th- they do that <laughs> that same thing that we do in radio keys sometimes where we'll play a song and we'll play it super fast and goofier than we usually oh, play yeah, it they're i'm like i'm like dude i can't believe that the beatles were doing this they because do, we do this that's a, that's all a, the time that's a big takeaway that i had is that when things are like i mean they're I don't know the hours, but every time a day starts, they're like, good morning, good morning. John's 30 minutes late. We're all having coffee. It seems like it's like nine in the morning when they start. And then they're going till the day is done. They start drinking in the end. And they have some beers and some George. I'll have a white wine. I love George. And, uh, and they're, um, you know, it's, it seems like long days. And so I think that it just gets really grueling and they're working on fucking don't let me down. And they're like, what's the structure? And they're getting kind of frustrated. And then they'll just start playing like a, you know, like a cover song or one of their old songs and they'll yeah. be making up bullshit lyrics. They're just kind of like lightening it up. And it's really fun to see the that because we fucking do that. The Commonwealth <laughs> th- song is so funny. Oh, yeah. The we, Commonwealth. Tom and I were talking about that. Um, they're and also, John's like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I, was, I was really impressed with seeing them do a bunch of Bob, uh, Bob Dylan songs. Well, they too. revered Bob Dylan. Yeah. They revered him. They, they do, do I Shall Be Released. Yeah, they do I Shall Be Released. Um... And another one too. They're they're fucking around on Midnight Special at some point. That was fun. That was fun. Because um, I play Midnight Special my solo, my solo. I do it like Credence did. Um, but I yeah. I I really enjoyed watching them like jam on it. It was fun. The the classics. Oh, we'll take a little break and then yeah. Uh, let's take a let's take a break. Yeah. I can look at my notes. All right, and we're back. All right. So have we talked about George yet? No, we, we've talked a little bit about George. I mean, we've talked about George throughout it, but not specifically. So I'm sure we're going to be reiterating a lot of stuff yeah, that we've I, said before. I mean, I think he's very easygoing. I think he's... Um, 
I think he's very vulnerable when he's showing his songs. Um, I would be, I mean, he's, he's buddies with these guys since he was 13, but it's still, you know, definitely a little brother complex. It feels like, I feel like that too. Yeah. Cause he'll show his songs to John and Paul and it feels like they're like, "Mm, okay. You know, it it feels very much like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, he's, I don't know. He just, he seems, he's very, whenever he, he doesn't get angry. He's very, he gets emotional though. He gets emotional, but he's, you know, sensitive for sure. He gets sensitive, but I think he kind of plays it off with humor, but it's hard to tell, um, exactly what it is that makes him like leave the band in the end of it or whatever. So I think since we've already talked so much about George and his interactions while we were talking about the other Beatles, Mm -hmm. I think that obviously this episode, the highlight and the cliffhanger of it is him quitting the band. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's hard to tell what exactly sparks that. I know that he and Paul had a disagreement before, and um, he 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 seems to me John that, and him had a you know that yeah he back seems to me his theme throughout is that he seems like he's kind of trying to be really easygoing and trying to make it work but also feeling very pushed down like he and and that is you know he is being a little sensitive but that is kind of his nature but mm-hmm. you know when Paul's saying please stop doing that or whatever and he's like all right I'll do what you want I'll do he seems defeated yeah or maybe there's just he one seems, he'll be like maybe there's just one guitar in this song he'll like, say something like that the two quotes i pulled from him were like you know when when Paul's talking to me, he goes, I'll play whatever you want. I'll play whatever you want. Like, that's yeah. a very defeated thing to say. And yeah. then also when, when John's talking about I Mean Mine and he just goes, I don't fucking care if you don't want to use it. I don't care. Maybe he says, I don't fucking care. We're, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. <laughs> he says, I don't care if you don't want it. I don't give a fuck. It'll All go right, in that's, music. That's, what we're gonna, that's, that's the what... quote. Um, but that's a very defeated thing to say. That's a very like, you know what? I wrote this beautiful song. I brought it to you guys. I don't fucking care anymore. Like he seems very, I don't, I think he just seems kind of beat down by the whole thing. Like I think he's probably dealing with his same anxieties. Like Paul is, we got two weeks to do this beautiful magical thing. And he's like trying to be a part of it. And I think, I think the dynamics are just getting to him. Yeah. I think that's what's going on. And I, I think, think he's you defeated. Can see it, uh, you can see it a little bit in Ringo too. Ringo looks a little defeated too. He looks a little defeated at times. He yeah. looks like, like Paul and John still have some energy that I don't see in in George and Ringo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Paul has by far the most energy. He is so energetic. Yeah. He, I love when they're like goofing off and like doing, you know, like weird voices oh, it's great. or like or like making up bad lyrics, lyrics yeah, or the whatever. Bad lyrics are so funny. It's so good. Yeah. Well, and it makes you realize that they're all they they have that chemistry and they're all buds like they they're, have this great yeah. sense of humor together they're really good friends you can tell that they're yeah. really close they're they yeah. genuinely like each other yeah um but they're just different they're starting to grow apart creatively i think yeah and they, they it, they're also like they've been through everything a band can be through and they got together as 13 and 15 and maybe they just want to you know spread their wings and leave yeah. the nest, you know, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, George to me, he feels like very measured, very, um, self-aware. Yep. Um, a little sensitive, mm-hmm. clearly a brilliant songwriter. Yeah. And I think all that culminates into him feeling begrudging about the way that they're treating his songs. He has multiple quotes about 
how the performance isn't going to be good and his songs aren't going to be good. I think he's got a lot of anxiety. I kind of relate to him. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't think something's, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. If if I don't think something's going to be good, I just want to back away from it. And that's, I feel like what he's doing. Cause like they're still talking about the fucking venue. They don't know where it's going to be. They don't have the songs. They're all kind of up in the air. And he's just like, I don't want to do it. Like I, I relate to that. He's like this, if this isn't going to be good, I don't, I don't know. Oh, and they bring his eight track to record on. Oh yeah. They bring this big van with, the big apple yeah if you all have the beatles vinyls you know you, they've got the apple and then yeah. the half apple on the b-side um it's got the big apple on the side of this truck that the van that they bring in and it's this whole he's like it's my recording studio yeah. it's eight thousand quid or yeah. whatever he says it yeah, or yeah. eighty thousand. i have no I don't sense know of what, what i don't even know what a quid is, is so, <laughs> so yeah. i don't know one of my favorite um george moments he um he he's pl- oh he does a he does a bob dylan song i think he he there's a whole segment towards the end where they're Shooting him doing Mama, You've Been On My Mind. Um, what else to say about George? I don't know. I felt, I mean, I feel like I've gotten everything off my oh, chest over the course. Thing. All right, yeah. Um, when he's showing them um, All Things Must Pass, uh, he's going over the lyrics with John and Paul, and he says something like, The wind can't blow those clouds away. And then John's like, You should make it my mind doesn't can blow the clouds away because it's more psychedelic. And George is like, yeah, sure. Like, and I love that because he's like, he's not, he's not pretentious about his lyrics. He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, sure. Like, well, he, he's what, very much like, okay. Want to know what was fun about that is they were looking at the lyrics of the way they were written. Oh, and John's and the way like, that they're isn't written, that what it, it looks like yeah. wind instead of mind. The yeah. M looks like a W. Or I think you mean it the other way. It. Oh, John yeah, sorry, thinks sorry, it's sorry, mind. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the W looks like yeah. an M. Yeah, he's like, that's so, what I thought it was. Yeah. So he's kind of reading it that way. But I, I feel like George isn't too precious with those details, too. He's just like, he's ve- he very much respects. You're right when you said it's like a little brother thing, like mm-hmm. John and Paul's sort of input. And he's just like, yeah, I like that. Let's do that instead. And they just roll with it. Like, I don't know. He's very easygoing. I feel like he's really trying to kind of make it work until he gets shut into a corner and then he goes, I can't do it. He It's hard for him to... It's hard for him to relieve the pressure that he's feeling. Um, and when I say pressure, I mean like the negative feelings that he gets from their comments. Yeah, the sort it's of defeated hard. He doesn't stuff. have an outlet to positively like reduce that pressure. He, he has to kind of just take it on the chin and just be like, okay. Yeah. So I think he's not going to flip out. The cameras are all rolling too, so they're all very they're you know, all aware of that. Aware, so they're not necessarily trying to like. They're on their best behavior, probably. You know. Yeah, a little bit. I think you're right. So I think that that kind of boxes him into a corner where he feels like he has to be either like this, this oh yes sir, of course yes sir, like kind yeah. of character. Um, instead of sticking up for himself and then maybe feeling like he's the only one who feels the way he does because when he's gone after he leaves, they're definitely kind of talking about him like, like, or maybe he doesn't come back and like, Oh, I have a quote that's upsetting. Um, so when he does kind of walk out and say he quits, uh, at lunch and he says, I'm not coming back after lunch or whatever he says, John says on tape, if he doesn't come back by Tuesday, we'll get Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> Did rude. you catch that? Yeah. So uh, fucking rude. He might have been joking, though. In I think he fairness, was kidding. I think yeah. he was. Tr- you're right. Like, we've talked about John trying to make light of these serious situations. Like, he's probably making a fucking joke. But I was like, oh, man. Um, I. 
I mean, I guess I want to uh, just shout out some little moments that I thought were yeah, kind I'm down of... Do you want to go back and forth on some moments that you like? Okay, yeah. You go. You want to go first? All right. One of my things that I really liked is I didn't realize that Paul was such a cigar and cigarello smoker. Like the entire yeah. time he's smoking like either cigars or like little cigarellos. Yeah. And I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, who <laughs> is he? Winston Churchill? Like, what is he I didn't expect it. <laughs> like everyone else is smoking cigarettes and he's just straight up smoking like Swisher sweets, dude. Like no, you're peach t- Optimos. You're totally right. Um, my, one of mine is, uh, I have real quick is an, also a Paul moment. Um, Paul's at either the piano or the guitar bass. I can't remember. And, uh, he says out loud, he says, this is something that happened to me quite recently. And then he launches into, she came in through the bathroom window that he's writing. And I was like, and he's like, this is a true story. This is a true story. And I was yeah. like, what the fuck is that story, Paul? You're yeah. still alive. Like release it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and real quick, this, this piggybacks on that. Um, they're, they're working out the lyrics and he goes, and so I quit the police department. And then John says, get yourself a real bloody job. Yeah. <laughs> kind of talking shit on. No, he's definitely talking blue. shit about the cops. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why the, the oh, FBI yeah. and the CIA, uh, <laughs> went after oh, yeah. him. There's oh, a, yeah. There, he was very anti-establishment. I almost said anti-disestablishmentarianism. The, I don't know the longest Anti-establishment. Yeah, he is very, very much so. Um, One fun thing that I thought about is how big that weird soundstage was, Mm -hmm. and how they're talking about talking about the and George is like the acoustics are gonna stink in here. Yeah, not a direct quote. And then uh, (laughs) you know Paul's (laughs) talking to everyone, and that's when they realize they're not going to film it there. Yeah, uh, I think they thought they were all gonna film it. They all they they. I'm very impressed with how they advocate for themselves because you can see the sort of management kind of people, the big big head honcho guys, be like, no, you know, who don't know what the fuck they're talking about, by the way, be like, no, you know, and they do that sales pitch thing where they're like, no, we'll get a lights and we'll get the people and we'll get the thing, and Paul's like, yeah, it's gonna sound like shit, dude. Like we're not idiots. Like we know we don't want to sound like a TV show. And then I think it was yeah, he says that he's like, you know, that shitty TV show sound is like, well, is it because you're listening to it? On your TV. And then that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I feel like it's a car salesman thing to say, though. Like, it's like... How many times have you you listened to, like, a song on your iPhone and you're like, that sounds so guitar heavy or so blah, blah, blah. And then then you listen to it on, like, a real sound system and you're like, actually, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I feel like they're they're, they're definitely trying to kind of pull pull the band one way or another in a certain times and i just feel like they do a great job of just shutting it down yeah especially paul yeah, paul's especially very much paul. like the and not in a douchey way he's just like yeah no it's gonna sound like shit like we don't want to do that um i have a fun moment okay um at some point somebody says oh it's elvis's birthday and paul says god bless our gracious king <laughs> <laughs> And I just they thought love that was Elvis. really cute. Yeah, they love yeah. Elvis. One, uh, so back to the giant room thing. It yeah. I also thought it looked impossibly cold in there. Oh, and you notice they're all wearing like fur jackets I, I was the whole a big, time. Uh, I was getting a big just January vibe. You know the January vibe of like you have the December vibe of like it's winter but it's Christmas and it's like a holiday vibe. Yeah. And then January always feels like a little gray and like depressing and like. Just kind of like well, yeah, it's like pointless and mean, and like it's like it's a new year, and we're all supposed to be Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, and boom, well, New New Year's is always this big like it's a new year, and then it's just January, and you're just in this fucking cold. It's dark at four thirty month, where everything's kind of like disappointing, and that's the kind of vibe they all come in, kind of cold and tired, and like 
unenthusiastic. It's just a very January vibe, yeah. if that so, makes sense. So one thing I I also saw mm. um, is that when they were talk, we talked a little bit about George talking about Clapton's guitar solo. That's what led them to talk about jazz and Ray Charles. And yes. then it led them to talk about Billy, Billy Preston, Preston yeah. who is like, it was kind of foreshadowing to what's going to happen yeah. later. But it was really cool to see them talk about Billy Preston. And well, they were and just like, oh, yeah. man. I think George said that George Ray is, Charles was the him. best band he's ever seen. or like Yeah, the best live band he's ever yeah. seen. And he mentions that he's, I guess Billy Preston is maybe touring with Ray Charles at this time. Because he says like, yeah, you know, Ray would just be like, give it up to Billy. Like, yet the let the young guy do it. Mm-hmm. And he'd let Billy Preston kind of like That's right, because Billy crazy Preston on the piano. would open for Ray Charles, yeah. which would be an they insane mu- concert to go Were to. Were they Can playing imagine? together in the same band, though? I don't think so. No, that wouldn't make sense. Maybe, I mean, it might have happened. I don't, yeah. I'm sure that it's happened. We don't but know. I know that he was opening for but, him at, during but this Ray time. Charles, but Ray Charles was super impressed with Billy Preston. And then, yeah, George was saying that he'd seen them all live, and he was just like... He's insane. So the other thing I had was the Epstein, uh, Epstein uh, death. Um, mm. He died of an overdose of carbitol, which is a hypnotic preparation combining the barbiturate pentobarbital with the bromide carbromol. And then he also drank a bunch of alcohol, apparently. So it messed him mm. up. He was found in his locked bedroom um, by his butler. They couldn't, you know, obviously rouse him. And once they found him, they did the classic 60s, 70s thing where they swept the whole place of drugs and alcohol and, and, uh, like kind of restaged the scene. You know how they did that with like, uh, they did that with like Jim Morrison where that's why they found him in like the bathtub. They did that. I think with, uh, they definitely did that with, and this isn't in the sixties, but I think they did it with Chris Farley too, maybe. Um, they're, in the 90s? In the uh, 90s? Uh, 90s? Chris Farley. Oh, Thoughts. yeah. Yeah. Um, um, there, but it's when like, did he die? 90s. It, yeah. It's a long, like, established... They they even did it with uh, Mac Miller mo- more recently. Oh, Where maybe. he died, and then they swept the entire place of, like, illegal drugs or whatever. Yeah. And um, for whatever reason, it seems to happen a lot with when a celebrity, you know... Heath Ledger probably. I don't know. It might have been Heath Ledger too. They might have done it. I don't know. Um, they definitely did it with uh, Marilyn Monroe, right? Oh yeah. Her shit That's was so, so fucking weird. Sad. That was a, that was a weird one. Um, but um, one interesting thing, and it kind of ties into my interests, obviously. But um, the second of two shows of Jimi Hendrix at Epstein's Saville Theater was canceled on the evening of Epstein's death. So Jimi Hendrix was going to play Epstein's venue. Epstein, Epstein, I, I don't know. One What's or the his other. first I think name again? Because I, is it Brian? Brian. Brian, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, Jimi Hendrix was going to play. Again, the Beatles manager that was their baby manager he when was they were young. driving and then, the train. He was, yeah, he was a genius too. Papa, a great guy. Papa Beatles. They call, I mean, they call everyone the fifth Beatle, but the, he is often well, referred Paul to. Well, Paul was literally calling him, I think, dad's gone. Yeah. Is what he he said. is oftentimes yeah. referred to as the fifth Beatle. So is Sir George Martin. So, so is Billy Preston. Preston. So he, yeah. he is definitely referred to as that. He was a huge, uh, you know, a huge figure in their early career. So that's interesting that, uh, yeah, they, they really flashed past his death, probably in a respectful way, but they were like, and then Billy uh, Preston died or Brian, 
sorry, Brian Epstein died. And then, uh, and then they just kind of, kind of went through it and they didn't really say a cause of death. I remember I had to Google it too. Yeah. Brian, um, Brian Epstein. Yeah. Uh, can I do Epstein or Epstein? I think it's Epstein. I, it's oh, the worst. I, I don't know how to pronounce those very well. It's to a be tomato, honest. tomato yeah. situation. Micro Stu. microwave, microwave. Yes. <laughs> Can I say another Micro moment? Lava. Can I say another moment that I wrote down? Yes. There's a yes. moment where Paul and John are talking, um, and Paul says, "I feel like we're facing a crisis," and uh, John says, "When I'm up against the wall, I'm at my best." You know that when I'm up against the wall. Basically, Paul's saying pressure's on, and John says, "Oh, you know that when pressure's on is when I do well." And Paul says something along the lines of, "I didn't get the exact quote, but he says something along the lines of, "Yeah, I wish you'd come up with the goods. Like I wish you'd." I wish you'd come out with some. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. But then yeah. they get they realize that they're on film slash microphone. And I they feel start, like that was and a really. Start, but then they start joking about it. Mm-hmm. It's a tense fucking scene. Yeah, you know what and I'm talking then, about. And I then they realize the that there's a hanging microphone in like the middle of the in, Which is wild in between them. Yeah. And then they start joking about it. So it's like it just well, shows. Also, fucking John's coming out with. Uh, don't let me down and across the universe and shit. I mean, he's so coming out with the goods. Like, come on. Don't yeah. Don't let me down and across the universe. Well, they were. It was wow. very interesting to see them struggling with "Don't Let Me Down" because we've been there where it's like you just can't crack the code of a song and you can't get that like aha moment where it's like, oh, this is it. This this is the bridge. This is the chorus. This is where it goes. And it's just fucking frustrating because you believe in it. And I see that that's. That was the most kind of vulnerable part of the first episode to me is them working on Don't Let Me Down and being like, what is this? And then I, they time it I and they're like, what is it, 30 seconds long? Yeah. Because they don't think it, they have a lot and then it's like three minutes long and but, it's like. But I, I think that they're so, I think they got too hung up in like the corny thing. They kept on ta- talking about how corny the lyrics are in that song. No. And you're just like. It's fucking brilliant. And they're like, let's do the corny part and then we'll do this and we'll do the corny part here. And I'm just like, why do you well, guys Paul, have to do Paul a. Paul keeps calling it Yeah. The corny well, part. John does too at one mm. point but i'm like why do you guys got to get hung up on this like corny aspect of it when it's a great song you're you're making it corny by doing this call and response thing with you know of course that sounds a little corny when you do it like that um but i thought that i thought that was great i also love that one what what song was john singing when he was trying to sing in the same key as paul oh, and it was they were trying so to har- bad they were trying to harmonize <laughs> I don't know if it was I've it Got was a Feeling. So funny. It was one of Paul's songs, I feel like. Yeah. Um, And he was like, oh, John, you do the harmony. And John's like, it's too high for me. And then and he he's goes trying, for he's it. Like, and you're just ah! like. <laughs> and you're just, it's I cringy. love how he's like really trying to illustrate how bad it sounds. Like He's like, listen to how bad this sounds. I feel if like I I've done that here. to you. Been like, okay, fine. I'll just do it. And then ah! just like. Just ah! doing the full Yoko <laughs> shit. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, John Paul Harmony's it's not too high for you, right? Um Oh, one last thing I wanted to say, uh they they try a bunch of old songs that they wrote in the 50s and they one song makes it onto um Let It Be the Record mm-hmm. that they wrote in the 50s when John was 15 and that song is the one after 909. Oh, yes, yes. Well, it's on Let It Be, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah it, so that's the one they they try out they like they woodshed like a bunch of old ass songs cuz mm-hmm. they're like we're desperate. Yeah. And that's the one over, that actually over lands. Over 100 it said over 100 songs that they had Fuck. they had already well, they were, they were vetoed. playing some weird shit. They were playing Yeah, in my notes it was You wear your oh. women high or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh There's a lot of weird weird stuff in there. Every <laughs> 
I, I feel so bummed. There was because I know you love me so. Won't you please say goodbye? There was an ending credit where it shows every single song that was performed in it and who wrote it. You know, because they have to do that kind right, of thing. Right, right, right. And I was like, damn it! I wish I was. I wish I had a list of this so we could just label every single song that got performed. But yeah, that's not this podcast. I tried to Google it and then I couldn't <laughs> find it. So sorry. So anyway, um, do you have any last thoughts on episode one other well, than the cliffhanger of them going the, to visit George, trying to get him back in the, the band? The cliffhanger is George very. I I like I see I see him just overwhelmed and defeated and he he doesn't quit. I feel so sad the way he quits. It's so sad. He's like it's, it's defeated. He's just yeah. like I can't do it. I gotta go. Like they're it's like, not let's like get lunch and they're all joking around and he's like I'm not coming back. Yeah. And he's not he's not he's not theatrical about it. He's not dramatic. He's not trying to make about him. He's not like fuck you guys. Yeah. I'm out of here. He's just like. I don't think I'm coming back, basically. Yeah. Like, that's the vibe I got. Like, it was very understated, and, like, you could tell he was just broken. Yeah. And it, it's hard to watch, because you're like, fuck, he, like, really... And they're they're really... I can see... I see... You see Paul trying to work with him. You see John trying to work with him. I really relate to George. Like, I get it. Like, he was just, like, feeling... This is also the first time totally that this broken. footage was aired, obviously. Yeah. But, like, there, there was, you know, obviously... Uh, when the production was originally happening, they're like, you're absolutely not showing the portion where George quits. So like, you're not yeah. showing any of this. So it didn't make it into the original mm -hmm. and, um, doesn't fit the, no. So this is the, the first time we actually get to see this pivotal moment of and Beatles very, and music it's, history. It's fucking subtle. It's sad. It, it's it, sad. It's very real. Everyone, it's almost like people don't understand. And when I say people, I mean like the Beatles don't understand what George is feeling because they're all joking around and having a laugh. Oh, let's go get lunch. Oh, is it lunchtime already? Ha ha ha. And then they yeah. leave. And then George is like, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm going to go home. Uh, you can probably get some musicians for from NME to come in. He and, uh, I think he really doesn't feel like a part of it right there. It, it feels like serious little brother syndrome. Like uh. it, it really does. He want he wants to like just take his ball and go home at that point, you know. Like I, I think he's been a little, I don't know. He he feels very like his language. Like I said earlier, sorry to reiterate, his language the whole time feels just kind of defeated. Like yeah, I'll play whatever. But it's very like, measured know, like, and self aware too. He, yes, it's never, he's very self aware. It's never explosive. No, it's he's never. He's always trying to find the right words mm -hmm. and to say the right thing. He's very careful. And uh, he, he like whereas Paul might be more quick to say like yeah you know, don't play this. I, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. And right. This is corny and blah, blah, blah. Like right. really blunt. George is calculated, way more calculated. And you can tell he's doing the whole like meditative thing oh, yeah. where he has all those weird white Buddhist monks <laughs> hanging on, <laughs> hanging on to him. The hard Christians. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And um, um, they're like, who's that guy? It's yeah. like, there's like a guy in the oh yeah. That guy is a clinger. Yeah. yeah that's what he is. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm very impressed by George, but I, I kind I, yeah, I just see him so like, he just needs a break. I think they just need a break at that point. Not, not necessarily a, he's leaving the Beatles break up, but he just needs a break. And then it looks like, you know, the cliffhanger is that they all go to his home mm -hmm. and they have an off camera fucking chat, which I think yeah. they needed, yeah. you know, and they, they just lay it all out. And it and, does not go well. And, and that's what, yeah, the fucking <laughs> captions are like, it does not go well. I'm like, what is yeah, this? What are we doing? Fucking Yoko and what is Linda this? Real were Housewives too, of like, New York. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't go well. No, it, yeah. I don't know why they, 
needed to include that they're like Linda and Yoko were there and it didn't go well and it's like okay I don't know like she probably should have just been a business meeting though you it know? probably just should have yeah. been a business meeting but yeah I mean a bunch of yeah anyway we'll find out so yeah I mean I guess the reason why it took so long for the production to happen is obviously the Obviously, George passed away a while ago, and and so did John. So the estates Almost 20 of those years ago two George, yeah. probably didn't want to undermine the legacy of their you know relatives and loved ones if, in fact, there's some horribly incriminating footage, which, there isn't. which they didn't know what it was yeah. and what it wasn't, and. You know, John, uh, Paul, and Ringo also didn't really know at the start of this what was filmed and what wasn't. So I'm sure that Ringo and Paul had much say in the editing process as well as the estates of George and John. I think they're probably at the point where they're like, you know what, this was 40, 50. History needs this. Like, (laughs) history history needs this documentary. Yeah. Because it is. Again, like I said earlier, peek behind the curtain of the most important band in the history of the world. And to have this is so incredible. I, Our dad said it was like watching Zeus come down from the mountaintop and live among ordinary men. That's you're just like, cool. you're like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, it is super extra, but definitely it's like that. It, it, it is not just for us, us musicians, but for like anybody that's that realizes the impact. I mean, I don't know what to say. I'm, I saw the trailer and I was like, I got goosebumps watching it. I was like, Oh shit. And it's, yeah, I just, it's such a, it's such a privilege to see this dynamic and to see again, dad made a great point. Like it, I mean, we're songwriters, you know, I'm not going to compare us to the Beatles, I promise, but <laughs> we've been in those rooms where you're trying to work out a song or whatever, and you've been in that in that uh, situation, and to see your heroes in that very same situation... It feels like being in the trenches with Very human. Yeah. It, it makes it seem, dare I say less you know more attainable less less yes, wild yes. less like oh they're just oh, they, they just sold a- their soul to the fucking devil and this is just the god's music you know it's like no it shows they just no cheat code they just like, worked out yeah. fucking get back by writing bullshit lyrics until it became a song you know yeah. and it's like oh that was the last thing i wanted to touch I on i knew it i'm so glad I knew it. they ditched the whole tongue-in-cheek immigrant vibe of that song Remember, because that was what they were trying to do. They were trying to go get back to where you once belonged. Blah, blah, blah. Was a Pakistani. Blah, blah, blah. Was a protest song. No, what they did was they made it like a tongue in cheek. Like this is morons hating on immigrants. Enoch. What's his name? I don't. There's a politician that they talk shit about. But they were they were like making it like this tongue and not tongue in cheek thing, but obviously like uh, a protest song. A protest song, but from like how ridiculous from it how is, ridiculous right? They sound so yeah. like get back to where you once belonged. So like coming from the view of of the person who's saying get back to where you once belong, where it's like douchey, but also you know like it's their it's their politicians. It's fucking what's so, his name. I'm so glad they ditched that angle because that song would have got canceled. Yes, they did ditch that angle. Enoch Powell. So they uh they, they ditched the the racial yeah. implications of that song. They still have the. Jojo was a man who thought he was a, a woman or whatever mm. the heck. Um, 
but they got rid of the racial aspect of it, so they don't have like the Pakistani verse. I think there was another race involved too. He came from Pakistan. Yeah, they were doing something. He like was that. a Pakistani. That's that what was it was. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad they did that because I feel like it would have got canceled if it was like talking about Pakistanis and being like, get back to where you belong. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> it would have been they, so bad. They were trying. Yeah, they were trying to be like, this is what the bad people are saying exactly but it's just paul singing that but no one cares like, about context that's anymore not work. yeah no one cares yeah, about context it so definitely it would be didn't, like i don't think it would have landed no it and this it goes back to what i was saying about like how good they were at like weeding out bad ideas well what i another closing kind of statement of what i love about watching especially paul songwrite is that he gets a melody in his head and he just kind of riffs and that's what I do a lot. Yeah. Or like me too. I do it. You all know, the time. you'll send me a guitar riff and I'll just be like, nah, 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 yeah, yeah. and you just kind of say words out loud and it's not. And so, Oh, here's another fun tidbit. Tom and I were listening to the Beatles XM station mm-hmm. the other day, which we listened to almost nonstop. It's great. We listened to on the road trip home from our, our, you know, getaway, our show out in Placerville. We're listening to the Beatles station and they had a sound clip from Paul and he was saying it was older Paul, you know, 70s, in his 70s Paul. And he was saying, oh, you know, when you're young, you just kind of write, I I just kind of wrote lyrics and I didn't really think about what they meant. Uh, And I just kind of, you know, got them out and I didn't really get into it. And he said that he wrote the song yesterday and uh, all my trouble seems so far away. And, uh, And he said that like many years later, one of his good friends had come up to him and said, oh, did you write that about your mom dying? Uh, because he has a lyric about um, she's gone away without oh, fuck what is it I'm not good with anyway. lyrics <laughs> she's gone I away I barely kinda, know our own lyrics she, she didn't say anything and she just left kind of thing yeah. um, in the lyrics for yesterday which you all know very well and ham and eggs yeah um, and he was saying oh you know and his mom had died like months before he wrote that song and he was like you know now that I look back I think subconsciously maybe I was and it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I've had that feeling before, but yeah, you mean fall, fall. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, when you write something and you're like, this doesn't mean anything and you listen later and you're like, ah, that, that kind of yeah, relates maybe. to what I was going through. I don't know. So yeah, if, if but you're so interested, Paul, Paul, Paul is very much of the, sorry, my closing point. Paul yeah. is very much the school of like writing lyrics without really thinking too much about it, which I really respect. Well, he's writing melodies He's writing melodies Before and then he's just kind he's of saying hammering stuff. out the lyrics. Because yeah. he tries a bunch of different iterations of the verse, right. which we've talked at length about a lot of artists just picking their first instinct rather than weeding through the ideas. Um, and he's definitely someone who just tries a bunch of combinations of ideas and then eventually settles on something incredible. Like, if you watch the first episode, one of the biggest takeaways is all the the bullshit lyrics and get back all the bullshit lyrics and let it be. Mm-hmm. And then what those songs actually became in the end they're they weeded that, that's, every bad idea. Yeah. Out. That's the most exciting part of this whole thing is just seeing this brilliance come up. By the way, it's um, why she had to go. I don't know. She wouldn't say yeah. that's what that's sorry. That's so, what I was trying to say. So if you are interested in the Beatles and it's your first time or maybe your third time listening to us, um, we do have an episode about the uh, Paul is dead, like mystery it's, it's a, slash it's a conspiracy Paul theory. Paul is dead slash Elvis, Elvis is, is alive. alive. It's actually one of our better <laughs> like traction uh, based podcasts. 
And it's, uh, it was one of my favorite. I think to it's one of the better ones we've done. So if you're interested in the Beatles, definitely go back and listen to that because we got call. to talk about the whole Paul is dead conspiracy, which is awesome. And oh, it's, I'm still gun to my head, not sure if you know, fall. <laughs> fall. Yeah, so I always talk about fall instead of Paul. So we're gonna um we're gonna watch the next two episodes. Yes. And we're gonna come out with a yes. recap on each episode. So hopefully this will be more like of a I'm not gonna say legacy because that sounds super douchey, but like no. down the road, if people are watching Get Back in the future and then they're looking for a recap, you know, they can find it. Yeah, just but, to notice I mean, those fun. We're moments. real loose over here at Radio Key. I I some. just I I was taking notes during the whole thing and I was like just trying to capture the moments like the everybody's had a hard on just the moments that I thought were funny and like intimate. Yeah. That we'd just never seen this side yeah. of them before, and so like that's what we're kind of trying to talk about and like. You know, because you watch a two-hour thing and you you absorb it, but you probably absorb like forty yeah. percent anyway. So it's fun to listen back and yeah. be like, so oh, anyway, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna cut out because we've already been at it for a while here. <laughs> so uh, again, we've been at it. yeah, my name's Stuart. I'm Emily, and we're gonna keep searching for that sweet, sweet soul sir. music. Them voices carry on.